Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. Welcome to Stars Like Us. I am Aliza Kelly, and I am here today with Shan Boo Drum, a certified sex educator, dating coach, and relationship expert. Boodrum is the best-selling author of The Game of Desire and currently stars in Peacock's new show, X-Rated with Andy Cohen. Yes, you heard that right. Stars alongside Mr. Gemini Andy Cohen. She is the ambassador for AIDS Healthcare Foundation and womenshealth.gov and a member of the American Sexual Health Association. Shan, I am so happy to have you. You are an Aries sun, a Capricorn moon, Libra rising, and I don't know how you feel about astrology. I cannot wait to talk about it with you. I didn't know any of those things, and I popped out the cake too early. I said hi, and I didn't get an introduction <laughs> yet, so let me just do this correct way. Thank you very much for having me. It's a joy. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I am so excited to talk to you. Not only do I just think that you are an unbelievable rock star, I am such a huge fan. Everything that you post, everything that you do has just this level of polish, perfectionism, Mm. beauty. And you know what? We're going to do your chart because it all shows up there. And I don't know how you feel about astrology. I'm under the impression that you're not the biggest fan of astrology. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But before we get into anything, I would love to know where you stand on it. I uh, I think we talked about this. We had a brief love affair in New York over a delicious meal. We acknowledged that we adored each other and that we should probably (laughs) be best friends. And then we never saw each other again, Uh, but we share a manager. And so I'm always in tune with what you're doing. And I'm so excited for all the success that you're having, all the people that you're impacting. And as you know, I did a weekend retreat course because of your weekend retreat course and how inspiring it was. And, you know, Adam just told me the feedback that you got and how much work that you're doing in such a powerful way directly with your audience. And so a lot of my career is is really inspired, uh, I should say mimicked by the things that you've done. So congratulations to you and thank you for being such a light. Oh my goodness. That is, I, wow, wow, wow. I'm, I'm a little shooketh. I was not expecting such praise. That's really meaningful. Thank you. Oh, good. Um, so I think we talked about this when we had met, I, appreciate astrology because my goal is to get people to think about their intimate life in a more intentional way. I think that traditionally we're taught, just be yourself, just go out there. The right person will find you. Don't think about it. Don't stress about it too much. And that's not the advice you would give to anybody who was looking to master any area of life, right? If you want to be the best golf player or the best cook, 
you wouldn't tell the person like, just don't even think about it. Just like, just be natural. Like, no, you need strategy. You need to learn. You need insight. You need guidance. And so I think for a lot of people, astrology offers that an opportunity to look at themselves, their intimate selves in a much more intentional and thorough way. So I don't care how you get to your ahas or how you get to know yourself. I I care that you invest in the process. It's not personally my individual process, but I, I value it as a process. I love that. Yeah, we did talk about it. I remember that, you know, you're an Aries, right? So like, we're going to pull up your chart in a minute. But now that I have even more info about your chart, and that was several years ago that we met for the first time. Now that I have even more wisdom as to how these different planets can materialize, it's really interesting for me to see how much you are a literal manifestation of your chart. So before (laughs) we get into, I want to know about sex I want to talk about sex. I want to talk about public health. Girl, you know about sex. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That clear skin says you know about sex. (laughs) Shan, you are gassing me the fuck up today. (laughs) I cannot. (laughs) I appreciate it so much. But let's get into your chart. First and foremost, because I have so many things I want to tell you. Can you see your chart on my screen. I can see this. I just completed a statistics course for the social sciences. And so this reminds me of statistics and is giving me PTSD flashbacks because it's numbers that I don't understand and symbols that I've never seen before, but let's do it. Okay. Yeah. This has nothing to do with statistics. I'm happy. I'm delighted to tell you. (laughs) I'm really, I'm really thrilled to report that. So this is a snapshot of the sky at your exact time of birth. So everything, all of the different symbols that you see here represent a planet or a point or some sort of celestial object. And the way this is sort of like a, it's really like a three-dimensional slash maybe even four-dimensional diagram on a two-dimensional setting. So what we're doing here is we're looking at both what was above you what was sort of in the sky, and then what was below you, what was not visible, what would have been underneath your feet, because we're talking about you know the sky encompassing space. So this point here is your rising sign, and this shows us what was coming up in the eastern horizon at your exact moment of birth. Then we go up overhead, and I know if I didn't have your time of birth, but someone was like, okay, well, here's a weird test. What time was Shannon born? I would have known that you were born uh, very close to sunset. Because the sun here, this is would be where sun sets. This is where sun rises. So the sun was about to set over the Western horizon when you were born. And here we have your rising sign, Libra. So Libra is the sign associated with balance, harmony, partnership, equilibrium. And it's really about sort of like beauty. Like how can we make this world a more harmonious beautiful, fair, and balanced place. So this is the theme of your life. These are This is like really the mission of your chart is how can we make the world a more harmonious and balanced and leveled place. The interesting thing is that your rising is, a, is opposite your sun sign. Your sun in Aries is me and this Libra rising is we. So there's this natural sort of tension between, well, what's good for others and then what's good for myself? And that doesn't mean that that tension isn't positive. It doesn't mean that that's something that's hard, um, but it could be something that continues to be a sort of underlying current of the major milestones and considerations in your life is reconciling what's good for others versus what's good for myself and finding that 
balance between those two things. Another thing I want to point out in here is that this rising sign in Libra reports to Venus, which is the ruler of Libra. And it is your Venus is at zero degrees Taurus, which is the other sign associated with Venus connected to your North node of destiny in the eighth house of sex and intimacy. So this, like everything that you do, (laughs) everything that you are is such a literal manifestation of having your chart ruler be a zero degree Taurus conjunct the North node of destiny. On top of that, you also have the South node, which is where you come from conjunct Pluto, which is another one of these powerful um, transformation, intimacy, sex, hidden things, signature. So all along this access of like, okay, I want to create balance is this subplot, which is, and how do I do that through intimate relationships? These aren't just regular partnerships. These are intimate partnerships. And how can I share that with others? Because ultimately you're about making this world a more beautiful place. So I had to share that because it's just, it's, I say this thing called tank, which means there are no coincidences. And it just, when I saw that in your chart, I was blown away for what you do. Great acronym. Thank you. So yeah, I'm curious as to like what, how you relate to that and what that feels like to you. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I I don't understand this at all. I mean, in, in full disclosure, this is why you're the professional people come to you. So um, I don't understand what I'm looking at, but I think what you just said, obviously, yeah, is a, is a really accurate depiction of where I'm at and, and what I do. I, I, interestingly, I mean, I know like the surface level stuff about astrology and I know my husband is a Libra. Oh, well, that's perfect. Yeah. And he's like, I, I would hope, I think that I'd be very shocked if in a hundred years we weren't still together. But I think that, and I think I've read before that like Aries and Libra are, I don't want to butcher the word, but like compatible signs. And so it feels like having these two things exist within myself might be like a manifestation of that. Cause I do feel like pretty, pretty good with me. Um, and that's something that I, I think has, has been a, a really beautiful part of my life is I've always, the relationship with myself has always been a pretty great relationship. So I don't know if that's a reflection of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the relationship that you have with yourself has always been a good one. Has your relationship with others always been as strong as, as it is today? I think, I mean, I, I definitely like I'm, I'm a aggressive personality type. So I go through ebbs and flows of people and I've gone through my periods of, of drama. And, you know, one of the things in the game of desire that was so important for me was to acknowledge my disagreeableness. And so in my life, I am naturally a very disagreeable personality, which has obviously served me. There's no way I would have been able to be in the career that I'm in the person that I am if I wasn't disagreeable because everybody my family, friends, school members, uh, teachers were discouraging me from it. So if I wasn't the kind of person who was like, fuck what you think, like my idea is better. <laughs> and if I would never have had the career that I have today. But on the flip side, that part of my personality definitely clashes with interpersonal relationships and has made relationships difficult for me. So it's a thing that I have to always be on the lookout for. Um, I Presently, I feel really great about my relationships and the space that I'm in right now is I am, um, I like newly employed a couple of family members and I obviously I work with my husband. And so that's sort of a tricky thing too, because I do, you know, to the point that you had made, I think like my relationships work and personal are, are like one in the same and not just in one particular area. I do it with my sister. I do it with my brother-in-law. 
um, both of my brothers-in-laws actually. And then we have a bunch of friends as well too. So that's also, I think a balance because the me versus we thing is a really big thing because I know it's my brand that overall funds the corporation, but it's the goal is to uplift everybody as individuals within that. So there is like a we element and then there's a you element. And then there's a me element that I think right now I'm sort of trying to navigate what that really looks like. Cause it's, yeah, it's, it's a fairly new experience for me. And then you're also a new mom. I am a new mom. Yes. So many congratulations. So how has that process been in the, with this whole other addition into your life? Yeah, it's been phenomenal. I think, you know, this is the stupidest thing that anyone's ever going to say, but I am shocked at how much time a baby takes up. I just don't, I don't think that I really understood, especially I, I don't have that much experience with like younger babies and there's no, there's no compromise. It's not like you do your thing. I do my thing. We're in the same space. I literally can do nothing else, but your thing at all times. And you're up quite a bit. So that's been like a unique (laughs) thing for me of like, wow, this is so much more time consuming. And then uh, I don't want to say the word difficult because it's like, it's pretty easy to do as long as you're like able to give all the time that you have, but time has never been a resource that I've had tons of. So that's been the stretch there, but all in all, it's a joy. And I literally feel like I ordered my baby like a pizza. (laughs) Like I think the things that Jared and I had outlined that we really wanted uh, for our child to be like, she just shows signs of that to a T. We have this wall in her nursery. That's all aspirational words. And they're contributed from family members or contributed from friends. Like the things that we would really hope that she gets to become. And the only word on that wall that I'm like, you are not that is composed (laughs) because she's a mess. What sign is she? Uh, she's born November 12th. She's a Scorpio. 7 a.m. Woo, she's a Scorpio. (laughs) So she's on that access for you that we are talking about uh, with the intimacy and, you know, all of that. She's there. Let me pull it up again real quick. So your daughter is a Scorpio and this access that we are talking about with your Venus and the North Node of Destiny in Taurus and then the South Node in Pluto in Scorpio your daughter lives in the, on the same access too. And what I think is really interesting is that on the same access around intimacy is also resources, financial resources too. So I would imagine that also, you know, this sort of reimagining values through the lens of now having a daughter, being a mom, um, having a family, you know, and then also seeing her role. And then I'm sure that or maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure that also her arrival helped propel you and your family to work together more intimately in this way, where you know it was sort of be- it becomes a family business, especially when it's all hands on deck with a newborn, you know. But then we get into the financial aspects of things too, and we get into that being, you know, not sticky, but it being considerations that hadn't been there previously. Does that resonate with you? I mean, for sure, because, uh, you know, one of the people we brought on was my brother-in-law and he works with Ryu full-time. That's just pretty much his job is to make sure that she's entertained from nine to five so we can get some work done, which doesn't always work out perfectly because she's needy. But I think that, um, that definitely like resonates with that because yeah, there was a job created specifically because, you know, we do have a, a young child in the house. And how do you feel? I mean, is, is this what you had imagined for yourself? Is this something where you're like, this is going, all of this is going according to plan? Because frankly, when you got pregnant from my vantage, I was like, oh my God, she's really going to do 
it all. And you were doing your Quibi <laughs> show at that time. And, and you were coming into set every day was like the most glam I've ever seen. And your belly was getting more and more pregnant. And I was like, she's doing it. She's really doing it. And you're still doing it. I mean, you just had this amazing Peacock show that's out now. I've been seeing you on taxi fucking TV. Like every time I'm not turning it off, I'm turning it up. The driver's like, what's going on back there? Like, stop it. Yes, so taxi I'm, TV. I mean, you are killing it. You are crushing it. But it's also, you know, you are doing the impossible, or at least it seems like you are. Yeah, I think that with community, I definitely, I did this YouTube video a few years ago because I used to use that quote that like Beyonce has the same 24 hours as you. And, you know, as your business expands and you start to see the levels and the amount of work and people that it takes to achieve certain things, you realize how false that statement is. So when they say Beyonce has the same 24 hours as everybody else, it's really not true because Beyonce's 24 hours, there's 200 people who Beyonce that day. So I look at it like that. Like I am right. Everything is working together. It's through getting more success in my career that it gives me more financial success. That gives me more opportunities to invest so that my hours can become Beyonceified. <laughs> I love that. I think it's important for people to know because it's not like, Hey, I'm doing everything. When I look great, like there was literally a you know on, on sexology, which is such a joy to have that. And it was such a privilege. We both had uh, shows on Quibi. So RIP to that. That sucked when that left. Yeah, that our, was ridiculous. our shows were both number one. Yeah. So I, I know that we. Uh, of course, you're, you're going to get the best from us. What right, can I say? Exactly. <laughs> what else did you expect, honey? Um, but that show, you know, I had a hair, makeup, and wardrobe team. So there was people picking my clothes and doing my hair and doing my makeup every day. So, like, the look of like, you're pregnant and you're glam and you're working and you're a boss, babe. Like, of course, like that was my reality. But the truth is that like that was facilitated because there were so many other people who were helping me. And the funny thing is because it's like when you first start anything, that is the hardest time, but you get the least amount of praise. But when you're first starting, and we know this is like entrepreneurs, it's like every single minute and hour you have to devote to making something grow and nobody is holding you accountable. Nobody is encouraging you. And for damn sure, no one's helping you because you don't have anything to offer in return. And it's that version of yourself that really is the Trojan horse. That really is like the success story, but because they don't have the accolades, that's not really who gets the praise. It's the you now who kind of technically does less, (laughs) you know, like you, cause you can share the responsibilities more. So like I'm theory, I can take on more because there's more people helping me than ever before. So while I received that, like that it's not easy to be me. I also think it's a heck of a lot easier to be me now than it, it was when I first started my career. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you speaking the truth there because I do think that I mean, I, I, I know that there's a time when often people find out what their bosses are making and they're so stunned and horrified by it, like how much their CEOs are bringing in versus how much they who are working, you know, 12 hour days as assistants or wherever they are in the company. It's like a fraction of that. You know what I mean? I know for me, when I was an assistant to a billionaire, when I first graduated from school and I was making 40,000 a year and I was doing his you know, I was like pulling in the financial documents and I saw that he spent more money on his pillowcases than on my annual salary. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is like a very rude awakening of how, of really just how out of touch he is with what, you know, people need to survive. 
and how, you know, how different people should be paid for things. Because when you make that much money, when you're making Beyonce level money, your 24 hours is really not the same as somebody who is working and hustling and, you know, trying to piecemeal it together for their family, or even if they are just a single person, you know, to keep that momentum and keep that tenacity when it's really, really hard. And just to your point, when people don't give a fuck, when people aren't being like, well, we're, we're counting on you to deliver this when there's no stakes other than the ones that you have internally. Oh no, exactly. And I think I I have so much more empathy for all sides now, you know, like I have an empathy for who's making a lot of money, who the perception is like you have so much and you have so much abundance because interestingly, like, you know, the Joe Biden came into power and he was like, everybody who makes over $400,000, you know, you're going to be taxed at a higher rate. And as somebody who's a part of that bracket, I don't think that my life is what you think of when you hear somebody who makes that amount of money, um, because there's so much that you have to give out and so much that you have to invest. And there's so much, of course, in taxes that you pay. So I like have empathy for, for both sides there. Cause I've been the person making 40 and I've been the person making over 400,000. And so I think like kind of like towing line of balance and maybe to, you know, to the point of the, the chart of having that, like what's best for me and what's best for, for we built in, because I feel like I've touched all different parts of life and the people that are closest to me right now, like my brother-in-law, for example, you know, he's 22 years old and I've been 22 when I'm trying to get my first apartment. And so I'm trying to everything I possibly can to put him in a position to have a different time or a better time than we did, but at the same time, having to acknowledge that it has to go in line with what's best for my business. And so um, I think that that really definitely resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to pivot for a minute and talk about sex a little bit. Let's do it. I want to talk about sex as it relates to public health, which might, you know, I, I hope that we don't lose fucking listeners right now because keep listening. Cause this is really important. I feel really passionately about this. People are going to drop off when we start talking about sex. Oh, when I said public health, okay, you know, public, cause public health might not be very sexy. Maybe we could find another sexy word for it. But the reason that I'm making this correlation is because recently I heard a very horrible story. And this horrible story was from somebody I work with who was born and raised in Alabama. And she went to a public school there that taught abstinence only education. And she was telling me, and she, she's younger than me. So she was going to school in, you know, the two thousands and they were, they would do things like they would in their abstinence only class, which wasn't a sex ed class. You know, they didn't teach them how to use condoms. They didn't teach them how to about STDs. They didn't teach them how to protect each other. They would take a cookie and they would pass it to all of the students. All of the students would have to hold it. And then the last one who held it had to eat it. And it was so gross. And it was to show how disgusting you are if you have multiple partners Mm. and the more partners you had, the more filthy and and, you know, undesirable you were and something so delicious, like a cookie was then suddenly nobody wanted to have it. So I was very alarmed (laughs) when I heard this. I mean, I wouldn't have been alarmed maybe if she had been going to a religious school, but that it was a public school. I was, I felt this deep concern and I grew up in New York city. I went to a high school here that had there was, you know, AIDS awareness week, but we actually expanded it to AIDS awareness month. And because I went to a performing arts school and there were a lot of gay teachers and there were a lot of gay students and it was something. And, you know, coming out of the nineties in New York city, where AIDS had decimated the art scene, 
there was, a, you know, people were still really, really shell-shocked from what had happened. So I sort of had put these things together and just thinking about how important sex education is. And I was just wondering if, you know, with the involvement that you have um, in the organizations that you support, you know, what public health and awareness means to you and how you have seen both like how that education affects people positively. And then in your experience, have you noticed a correlation between sort of like lack of awareness of that from a young age and then critical thinking <laughs> or like what, how people are responding to this global panini press that we're in? You know, I, I just feel like there are so many connective tissues here of people not getting the right information and then people not knowing how to make thoughtful decisions later on. Yeah. I actually interestingly think that the pandemic did wonders for the intimacy space, you know, obviously not to minimize the horrific cost that it has told on most people, but it definitely one has made people prioritize their health in a different way. And from a sexual health standpoint, I now see people because you have to have the COVID or vaccine conversation with people. It actually is a lot easier to also weave in the sexual health conversation because you're just talking about wellness in general with people. For one, two, I think people have really prioritized their intimate relationships because you realize that when nothing else in this world is stable, the one thing that you have to fall back on is your close intimate partnerships, be that your family, your romantic relationships. Like those are the things that really do matter at the end of the day. When we can't go to our spin class and we can't get our favorite coffee and we're not busy all day work at work and we're not in traffic for hours on end, we're just left with the people, you know, who we have said that we want to be closest with. And we've asked ourselves, are we really all that close? And I think the other thing that's really interesting about the pandemic is people stopped taking the information that they were given at face value because there was so much misinformation and confusion and you know different perspectives that it was no longer, well, this is what I was told. This is what I will do. And so people started to really research things for themselves, which I think really helped to develop that muscle. Because when it comes to sexual health, we all know that the information that we're given in school is BS. We usually figure that out by age 15 or so, which by that time it's caused a considerable amount of damage. And of course, like, you know, creating shame that takes years and years and years to work through that cookie story. You know, I've heard that in terms of the flower, I've heard it in terms of the white piece of paper. It's kind of the same thing, just reconfigure, just to give a message that one, I doubt the teacher who's giving would even live up to. Um, and two, if you look at any other study, like in terms of like, who is success, success in terms of happiness, like who has satisfied with their sex life, it's really not the person who handed their cookie to one person. Um, it's like, you're just teaching something. And then on top of that too, we're ignoring all the health benefits that come with a healthy sex life. I made this joke recently and it was a joke that was repurposed, but you know, but people say to me like, oh, masturbation is wrong. There was a comedian who said, well, if masturbation is so wrong, why would God put your genitals in the most convenient place possible and not put them in the middle of your back where it's hard to itch? Like, so God must want you to masturbate. But <laughs> furthermore, like it's, it lowers your blood pressure and it releases DHA. It, it improves your immune system. It decreases stress and it makes your skin healthier, more vibrant. It decreases your chances of heart disease. Like healthy, a healthy sex life is a part of a healthy life period. So. I think that the information that we're given in school is so crazy with given those facts, right? Like they were supposed to abstain and forego, which I understand that messaging 
for existing during Jesus times where there wasn't hospitals and antibiotics and a healthcare system or birth control or means of protecting yourself. So yeah, like I think in 700 BC, for sure, have sex with less people because if you catch chlamydia, you might die back in the day. I'm not quoting, don't quote me on the historian. Right, right, but right. Anyhow, I think that those outdated messages, you know, that are still pervasive in our society, I do believe now by like 14 or so people are like, that's bullshit. I have the internet. I see what's going on. Like, that's not accurate. The unfortunate thing is that people are told that the information they were given is bullshit, but then they're not, they're not um, led to where they can go for good information. And as a result, you end up looking to a lot of false or salacious things like porn or articles or Instagram pages, you know, to become your sex education. And then again, we're not encouraged to go out there and buy books. We're not encouraged to go out there and actually become our own experts. So we don't really invest in correcting what we all know is wrong. I think unanimously, we can all agree that sex education in school is foolish. And I can list on my hand the amount of people in my 15 years of doing this space who have said they got great sex education. But I do feel like there's a bright spot in what happened in the pandemic in that now people are realizing like, I have to look into things for myself and I can't just go to the first source. I can't land on the first source that I saw. I need to like open myself up to several different pieces of information to find out what's right for me. I love that. That's so interesting. And I do think that I might be one of those few exceptional people who had pretty exceptional sex ed in yes. school because because it was really a, a deep dive into how sex is about taking care of yourself and taking care of other people. And that message was really instilled on me. And that doesn't mean that I followed the rules, you know, like I fucked up, but actually not when I was in high school. That started when I left and I went to college in Minnesota and I, the, everyone there was not, no one was having safe sex. You know, and I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, like AIDS is among us. And people were like, AIDS is not among us. You know, like this is not a real threat. But I, you know, and maybe it was over extreme, but I, in my school and the way that it was taught was that, no, you have to be really fucking diligent. So it was really only when I started to mingle with kids who did not go to my high school Mm -hmm. that things got sloppier because in my high school, it was really, really comprehensive. And they really made the point that you have to, you need, it's okay to have sex, but you really need to be responsible. And that's a great argument as to why people say, well, sex education should be the responsibility of the parents. Like this isn't a, a public scenario. This isn't a public health education point. It's family. It's based on the family's comfort level. And then you're like, yeah, but we can't rely on parents who have no education them damn selves are uncomfortable with the topic. And then on top of that, Yes. So if one kid in the class gets great sex education and the other kids aren't, sex is a social activity. So you're putting the burden of responsibility on the one kid who has education to now go re-educate a bunch of people who have completely different values or completely different understanding of their body in general. So I think what you're saying speaks to that because yeah, if you're amongst people who all speak the same talk and you're all in the same flow and you all have the same agreements around sex, it's a lot higher of a chance. You're not going to put yourself in some risky scenarios. But when you put yourself in the general population who hasn't benefited from that, that's when you end up feeling like, well, maybe I know what's right, but I actually wasn't taught how to teach others what's right. And then you end up putting yourself in scenarios that you know aren't best for you. Right. Exactly. I definitely feel like it's the responsibilities of the school and Mm. especially public schools. I mean, all schools, but obviously when you get into private and you get into the religious studies and you get into like, you know, when you start blending education with 
spiritual philosophies, it gets a little bit murkier. But I really believe that it is a public responsibility to inform people about how to treat each other responsibly because fundamentally that's what it comes down to is like taking some of the shame out of sex, taking some of the stigmas that are associated with it and really just unpacking and say, okay, if we're sexually active, we're stepping into the ring along with chlamydia, along with HPV, along with AIDS, along with all of these things. And there's certain things that have higher risks. And then there are things that have lower risks, but you do need to know how to protect yourself. You know, what having hard conversations with your sexual partners looks like and all of these important things. Yeah. And I actually, you know, interestingly, I did a video yesterday with a friend of mine that we talked about because they're single and they're very sexually active. So we were just talking about their sex life. And I was like, okay, well, you know, you're sexually active and you're single and you have multiple partners. What does the sexual health conversation look like for you? And they were like, well, you know, it's kind of like covered when I pull out the condom, like that's pretty much it. But to be honest, there's sometimes that we skip over it and kind of, it kind of got, you know, into that, like, well, you know, sometimes blah, blah, blah. that's good. We know what I think people uh, misclassify this conversation as being heavy and hard. It doesn't have to be, like, it can be rolled up into the, what do you like? What turns you on? What gets you hot? And a part of that conversation is like, I feel most freaky most frisky, most in my bag, most explorative when I think that I am in a position of safety and a part of safety for me includes sexual health. So what's your status? And so it doesn't become a thing of like, this is an awkward dialogue. It's a part of like, how do we get the most enjoyment out of each other? And I love what you said about, you know, this is taking care of my body and taking care of your body too. And that's what I have in mind when I'm asking any question around sex. Have you found that there are you know, in the communities that you have fostered, I'm sure, you know, you've, well, period, you've fostered amazing communities. Outside of that, do you feel like you are still sort of like shamed or have to explain yourself or you have to defend what you do when you step outside of those communities that you've built? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. I'm, I'm sure that we probably have parallels with this. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because it's an area that so many people misunderstand. And so I am a dartboard of projections. So if I tell you what I do for a living, if you feel uncomfortable with your sexuality or you feel resentful or you feel shameful, then then all of that gets projected onto me. So I, you know, uniquely as a sex educator, I do my best not to preach to the choir. Um, so I'm not existing only in sex positive coastal spaces. I show up on the Steve Harvey show or I go on Dr. Oz or, you know, I, I enter into communities that are not necessarily sex positive or comfortable with the topic. And when I'm in those spaces, I acknowledge that a lot of people are not going to be very welcoming to me, especially as a, a woman of color who presents younger. So I think just because I'm aware of that, it doesn't impact me as much maybe as it used to when I wasn't. And that's what I was you know mentioning based on the, the chart. but. My relationship with myself is is so solid. And the way that I feel about myself and my right in this world and my like goodness is, is pretty solid. It gets shaken a lot. I get tested a fucking lot. I mean, I think especially even existing as a human being on the internet, like the amount of times that I'm accused of being an awful human being is a lot. Um, but I think that again, that relationship with myself is so strong in my belief in my validity and my intentions and my impact is is really high. So like that's what powers me through. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine stepping onto the set of one of those shows and 
the kind of energy, especially if you have a live audience in the room of like, just like the, the wincing and the moving in the chair of yes. having to have you coming in and being as fabulous as you are and like taking up as much space as you do, which I honestly think is one of the reasons I admire you so much is because anything that you do, you put, at least from my vantage, it looks like you put 500% into, you know, and you like show you arrive you, when you make an entrance, you arrive and going into those environments where you have all of these like Midwestern moms being like, Whoa, like this is threatening my values, <laughs> like, like hiding their husband's eyes. You know, I can only imagine what that feels like. Oh yeah. I mean, it definitely, <laughs> I think I've become a little blind to it over time. I have this story that I love and that I went to go speak at a school in Delaware and I got picked up from the airport and it was like a long drive to the school from, from a driver. It was an older white lady. I'm going to assume she was a senior citizen. And essentially she was like, oh, we're making small talk. You know, you're going to the university. Are you a student? No, I'm not a student. I'm going to go speak. Oh, you're a speaker. Okay. Well, what's your topic? And I was like, here we go. And I was like, I talk about sex for a living. And then it went silent for a while. And then she was like, okay, so by that, do you mean that you encourage people not to have sex? You talk about condoms, you talk about HIV and STDs. And then I was like, not really. It's a part of my talk, but I really just talk about how to have a bomb ass sex life and how to have pleasure and how to feel like you're in control um, of your pleasure. And then it went silent for a long time. And I was like, oh, I feel like, did I make her feel uncomfortable? This is a car, there's only two of us, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. I'm just, I had made a decision maybe like two months prior that I was no longer going to edit what I did for a living for new people. Cause I want to normalize the dialogue and I want for future sex educators to have an easier time than I did. It's so like, from now on, I'm just going to say it. It is what it is. So it's silent for a while. And I'm like, okay, I'm just sitting with my decision to be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm balls to the wall. This is what I do. And then she chimes in. She's like, you want to know something? My first husband couldn't find my clit if it was on his nose. Oh my God. The tea, the tea, <laughs> the tea. And then just went into this like deep dive into her sex life and how with her second husband, the sex is so much better and how she didn't start even orgasming or self-pleasuring until much later in life. And it was just really fascinating. You know, it was an hour long drive. And it was this great conversation that I had with somebody. And I realized that people are, people need me to be confident in spite of their discomfort. People need me to believe in myself and to feel good about what I'm doing and to make eye contact, even if they're looking away or rolling their eyes. They need somebody who's giving them space and permission to say like, it's okay. And so when I got to that space where I'm like, even if you're giving me the most weird vibe and the most awkward energy, and you're making me feel like I'm disgusting for being in your space, I know you need me to still pop it into the splits and twerk and be my bold, bad self and continue the course. <laughs> like that's the permission that, you know, I, I want to give to you. And even if you don't give it to yourself in that moment to let yourself be free in that way, maybe you'll think about it later. And I'll be the person who like, I really admire that thing about her. Even if, you know, when you were with me, you didn't show that admiration again, like that self-belief has to be there. Right. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I really appreciate that. And I think that it's, it requires that. And that's the amount of courage and bravery that it requires to change the discourse, you know, because if status quo is set a certain way, if we have these 
stigmas and if we have these associations and if we have the shame around sex, then of course it's going to have to, it's not going to be easy for someone to try to challenge that and try to make sex a more comfortable thing for people to have when they're uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah. And it is the like unique, it's a space that I've tried to occupy. And I'm sure I, I, we know with the work that you do, there are some people who they're, they preach to the choir. They only work within the community and they don't try to show up outside of the community because when you do, you put yourself up for scrutiny. But as public educators, we have to put ourselves in front of people. You know, we're having this dialogue. You're aware that I'm not an aficionado or a participant in the work that you have devoted your life to, but you're still like, no, I'm here to change minds and I'm here to spread the word and I'm here to educate and I'm here to inform. And so even if you're not eye to eye with me, I still want us to have a dialogue. And that, that work is a different kind of work. It does take a lot of belief. And I, again, like, I think I'm preaching to the choir because you have to be so sound in your beliefs, because I'm sure every conversation you have a room that you enter into, especially if it's not your people, you're going to come across somebody who is a doubter. Um, somebody who has a negative experience with it, who wants to project that onto you. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm really, I I don't tell people just arbitrarily that I'm an astrologer. I say I'm a writer, you know, if I'm going out and we're, you know, if we're like in our neighborhood and we're meeting neighbors or something for the first time, like I'm going to say that I'm a writer. I'm not going to lead with astrology because I, well, one, I don't want to, you know, I don't want somebody to have all of these false impressions as to who I am. I don't want to be in a situation where I have to defend myself. But then on the flip side, I also don't want to get stuck reading somebody's yeah. fucking chart when I don't want to read it. You know, like I don't want to have a conversation about how you're like a fucking Gemini for 45 minutes for no reason, you know? So I am very selective about when I sort of refer to myself as that when I'm in new situations. But the thing that I am, you know, it's really hard for me to reconcile is that I get that hate from the religious, you know, which obviously makes sense because I'm going to hell. So when you're going to hell every, you know, you have to be reminded of that a lot as it turns out. But then I also get a lot of hate from these science Wikipedia bros, you know, from like the logic bros, from the, you know, everything has to make sense bros. And that I think is the harder one to stomach in a way is because, you know, with the religious fanatics who tell me you're going to hell, it's like, sure. I I never subscribe to a religion myself. So like hell doesn't exist to me. It's, It's fine. It's, I like the aesthetic, you know, but when it's like these science bros who are like, Oh, it's like, this isn't real. This is made up. This is all just, you know, she's a fraud. She's a con artist. She's a liar. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like easy fucking does it. You know, you can't assume that just because you don't know what someone is talking about, that they're a fraud. You know, you can't assume that someone is lying because you don't know the system that they use. Like that is way too presumptive. So it's like, I find myself sort of wedged between these two very obnoxious camps. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't, uh, yeah, I can completely imagine. And again, people's interactions with astrology is so broad. So you have no idea what that person's reference point is when they're coming and talking to you. And it's not your responsibility to unpack that with every single individual. I mean, I think I would just kind of boil it down to, it's like, what's whatever works for you. Whenever people ask me any questions, I get asked all the time, like, do you believe in uh, twin flames or do you believe in soul ties or do you believe in love at first sight? I genuinely believe the human brain is marvelous. It is an inventor. And I believe that whatever you think is true is fucking true. 
right? Like if I believe that if I have sex with somebody, I'm tied to them for the rest of my life, naturally I'm going to think about my sexual partners a lot because my belief system is such that like we're connected. So they're going to come up. If I don't believe that I might fucking forget it. So that's, if, if your belief system is soul ties, soul ties exist. If it's not that they probably don't exist. I always love saying this because like we have many examples in life, you know, like here's how you cook the best spaghetti. Here's the perfect golf swing. Nobody has like, here's John Smith. He had the perfect life. He did it perfectly. You know, like, Ooh, chilling, chilling. Maybe Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, we don't have. <laughs> he was so betrayed. Yeah. And so we don't have that. Like, here's how life is done the best way. It's so, so many iterations of what that is. And if my way isn't your way, go on your way. That's okay. And that's, I still, I would encourage you. I mean, I don't want to put you in a position because I also acknowledge too, like, even admitting I talk about sex and relationships for a living, some people think that's a cue from, to download all of their relationship drama or their sex questions onto me as if I personally care, which I might, but I might not in the lineup at Chipotle. <laughs> and I made this joke to my sister that like, um, we were going, she, she took me to a party and I was like, Lauren, if you sense that people are getting into these deep conversations with me about their relationship or about sex, like, please pull me away. Like, I don't I just want to engage as a person. Like, I don't necessarily want to go out there as an expert. Um, cause I just, I, I want to, fucking eat snacks and play taboo as well. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, so then we ended up there and then like my sister went to the bathroom when she came back, I was like demonstrating how to do a hand job on people's arms. And she's like, I didn't know what you were talking about, but now I do. But so I think that as much as it is like a challenge to put yourself in that position, I think you are normalizing it and you are doing the work for the mini Elisa's out there when you just like grit your teeth and say like, this is it. So that saying that you talk about sex for a living or saying that you're an astrologer for a living becomes not dissimilar from hearing like, yeah, I'm a marketing senior executive. I don't even know another job. <laughs> I, I bag groceries at Ralph's. I don't know, whatever you do, right? It becomes just as normal as that. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, I think that that's a good experiment. I do. I would say it's probably more that I don't want people to unload on me. And then I don't want to have to be the bitch astrologer, you know, because that's also the thing. It's like, if somebody's in like, oh my God, can, my ex-husband was a Sagittarius and my new one is a Capricorn. Is that good for me? And you're like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't know you, you know, like then it's like all astrologers right, are yes. bitches, you know, because people don't have etiquette because people don't realize that that's an inappropriate thing. If I'm just meeting you and we are in line at Chipotle, you know, you know, what's such a good one though, too. If you have, I mean, I don't know if you do, I know, I know that you have group work. I don't know if you do one-to-one services, but I, when I had one-to-one services, it was my favorite thing in the world. I don't do it anymore, but whenever people email me these long questions, I had this copy and paste of like, thank you for reaching out. I'm so excited to chat with you. Here is my fee. If you'd like for one-on-one session for the work that I do, because you wouldn't walk into a bank and then just unload on a bank teller. You, you know, make sure you have a business relationship before you did that. So I'm like, this is amazing. And then you wouldn't hear anything back in response. And I'd be like, exactly. So if you have a card that you're like, (laughs) I am fascinated, I am interested, or even somebody else's card. I think that that, that's also too a part of the education of acknowledging that this 
is a valuable service that I provide that has value behind it. No, I really love that. I love that. I don't offer one-on-one services anymore either, which I think is also part of what I'm trying to navigate because that used to be something where I'd be like, book a session. And now I'm like, I don't yeah. want to hear it. And I can't, yeah, and you can't book a session. It I can just be don't a consolation club member, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so I have to figure out where to direct them. But until then, I might still just be a writer. You're a writer and you are a writer. You are a phenomenal writer. <laughs> um, I have two questions for you. And then I would love to pull a tarot card Fancy, if you are yeah. interested. So these are, this is like our lightning round. And one of them you already just touched on. It's question number one. What do you believe in? I believe in probability. It's my genuine belief system. Um, I don't, and I believe I don't know a damn thing. Like I don't have the answers. So like, I don't, I don't know a lot. I know what works for me. and I know probability. So what behaviors and actions are likely to get me the results I'm looking in life. And if you tell me what you're looking for, what behaviors, attitudes, both value system are likely to put you in that realm. So like that would probably be like my belief system. Question number two is how does magic show up in your life? Ooh, uh, magic shows up in my life when I make myself be in the moment. Cause my life is so, so incredible. So if I just like sit in a moment and just go like, wow, I'm like overlooking Los Angeles. I'm from Canada and I'm sitting on this beautiful, I'm sitting in my office in my home. My daughter is upstairs right now. I'm talking to Aliza, who I adore, who I think is so fucking cool and fun. And I cannot wait for us to hang out at Adam's wedding in a couple of weeks, which is really nice to say, but yeah, the sun is out right now. If I wanted to go get some sun, I could. Upstairs, the fridge is full. I can go make out with my, I could go have sex right now if I wanted to afterwards. Like, I think like if I sit and I'm like in the presentness of my life, I think that as a business owner, we have the burden so much of the future. What's due? What do I have to do, get done? Who needs something from me? Am I giving enough to other people? Um, have I finished the projects I'm supposed to? Have I applied to the things that I have to do? So 2022 is rolling. So we can exist a lot in like the what has to get done in, in the to-do list. But the magic is if I just give myself a second to be like, look around, feel yourself, be with your body. Fucking wow. I love that. That is so beautiful. And yeah, that's a beautiful scene that you're describing of what you have created for yourself of this beautiful life that you're living. And yeah, I mean, I do think that that's so important as, you know, as ambitious people for the two of us and for anyone listening who relates is that it's really sometimes hard to appreciate exactly where you are when you have really big dreams and when you're like, you know, just going all the time and you know that you can't really slow down. But sometimes then you can overlook the beauty of what you've already created. And that's definitely something I try to, I try to drop in as often as possible and be like, wait, you know, <laughs> like status check, lay of the land, like what's going on? No yes. one is sick. You know, mm. everyone has their health. Everyone's getting along. You know, everyone is taken care of. Everyone is safe. And how profound and how magical is that, you know, to be able in this moment when everything is probability, you know, and life is not certain for things to be fine. Yeah. It's magic. Like it's like bringing me to tears right now, even just like thinking about that, like genuine magic that that exists. Cause it's crazy. I read this article yesterday that was about like people in Afghanistan having to sell their children. Like I'm so many billions of miles away from having to 
make that decision, you know, and that that exists a plane right away that someone else's reality. So you don't have to always compare, you know, to, to get that feeling of gratitude, but man, it, sometimes it's just nice to get that check-in to be like, yeah, it's okay that you didn't finish your Squarespace ad on time. <laughs> like that's okay. Like that's not worth crying over and ruining your weekend over. Maybe, or maybe it is, I don't know, but yeah, a lot of the, my biggest problems, you know, if you, if you just weighed them for a second, you're just like, you're, you're doing good. Yeah. Your life is pretty magical. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. Okay. So now before we wrap, I want to pull a tarot card for you. So the way that my deck works best is when we have a specific question, the general, like just pull a card and see what happens is a little too muddy. It's a little too hard to interpret. So what specific question do you have that we could answer together? And if you are like, I'm not sure how to phrase this, I can help you through that too. All right. So let me ask the question of, is working with my family best for them or best for me and not best for them? Okay. Um, Let me try to phrase this in a more tarot way. Perhaps how can you make working with your family best for everyone. Yes. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so do you want me to work with pile one, pile two, or pile three? Always two. I was born okay. in the second. Love it. Oh, yes. Perfect. Love a lucky number. So let's see. How can working with your family be best for everyone? Best for me and best for we. Page of Pentacles. So this card is very much about money. It is about new financial opportunities. So it ultimately comes down to a lot of the themes that we're talking about here is how do you create new financial incentives, I think, that everybody can benefit from to make that something that is, you know, that where everybody feels like they are receiving abundance and that they are in flow of the opportunities. I think that it's new. Paige is the first, is like the youngest of this group. So I think that this is also about doing new things together. You know, there might be some sort of like old systems that need to be sort of renegotiated in order for this new configuration to be able to work. But it's also like, okay, well, then how can we all put our minds together and figure out what those new systems are that are going to be profitable, that everybody is incentivized to want this to be as great as it can be? I love that. I appreciate that. Does that make sense for you? Oh, of course. Yeah. Cool. I think that definitely makes sense. So where can our listeners find you and connect with you and continue to support you? Oh my goodness. I'm going to make one wish right now. And I have a podcast coming out October the 6th. And I was saying to my sister yesterday that I'm like, I almost hate that I care so much because it was a throwaway thing. Cause a podcast is like, my mom made a YouTube channel a couple of years ago and she kept making it this big thing. Like my YouTube channel. I'm like, mom, five-year-olds have YouTube channels, just fucking started. Not that big of a deal. And so I'm like, everyone has a podcast. It is not that big of a deal, but like now I, the, the start date, it's went from July to, you know, August, September, and now it's October. So now we've been gearing up for so long that it's become this thing. So it's like releasing a book and you probably experience that. Like I have this book, come, your book is not out yet. Right? It comes out very shortly. Yeah. September 28th. Yeah. So that girl, we could talk about that for a full thing too. Cause when my book came out, I was like, literally the week before my book came out, I've never cried so much probably ever in my life because it was like, so I cared so much. And I was so proud of the work that I had done. And I was like, is this going to be met 
not just with positivity, but literally at all. Are people going to engage with it? Are people going to know about it? So my podcast is kind of like that thing now where I'm like, I'm putting so much work. It's my best work. I'm really proud of it. I'm genuinely producing like myself and my sister really produced this together. And it's a show it's called lovers and friends, and it's going to be available on the stitcher network, but available everywhere that podcasts are October the 6th. Episode one is about my lack of an ability to orgasm through penetration alone. And me going to see an OBGYN who specializes in something called the O shot to see if I can have an orgasm through just penetration. So that's episode one. And uh, from there, it's just going to keep rolling. Wow. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. We're going to listen. Good. Thank Thank you you. so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for that little ASMR at the end. And (laughs) so lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. 